Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase, Season 2. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little. Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at yegfitness.ca and on social media at yegfitness. Today's podcast episode is with Isatu Fofana, and she competed at a very high level in track, extremely smart, has a great story. We've got some connecting pieces regarding the town or city of Panoka, and so that doesn't happen every day. And so if that is ringing a bell for you, you might want to keep listening or keep watching. Something about ice is she has something about her in which I'm never going to be able to inspire people the same way she does. I didn't have to come from another country to like save my, my own life, to survive. I just existed, um, lived a pretty tame life, um, had some jobs in retail, decided I didn't like certain jobs, decided I liked other jobs, did some school, didn't do some school. Like, it's been a pretty tame existence. She's basically had to fight against all odds to be a top performer. And so you're bound to have something to learn from her. You're bound to get a new perspective. It's definitely worth a listen or watch. So thank you. And let's get started. All right. So welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. This is episode 127, and I am joined by the one and only Isatu Fofana. How are you doing? I am, I'm doing okay. I'm hanging in there. Yeah. <laughs> How about yourself? Well, we we're in different, different situations and like, I'm here today to listen to you. So it doesn't really, I'm fine. Like, we don't need to worry about me. And so I can only imagine what it's like being in the world for you right now. And I'm excited to get to know more about you. And I'm excited to learn lessons from, from things that you've gone through. Um, so I'm just curious, like today, what, what did your day have in store for you? What, what did you do first thing? What was your routine? I got up this morning, not going to lie. As of this last week or so with everything happening in the news, like just getting up has been tough. And I literally laid there for a good half hour. I was like, I don't want to get up today. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to hear about anything else because it's just been so overwhelming. And just honestly, it's mentally draining as much as, much as it is like physically draining just with the what's happening in the U.S. Just in general, in terms of racism and people actually speaking out about it right now. And yeah, that was my day. But I had to get up because I had to work. I instruct classes at F45. I'm a head trainer and studio manager there as well. So my job every single day during COVID has just been providing a bit of light for people during COVID, offering online classes and just like being there for people in a time that they really need some kind of um, interaction online. And that's my job every day. We offer one class a day. But it's just those 45 minutes that really do make a difference to my day and to their day. So it is a nice thing having that and just being able to have something to look forward to or to wake up to rather than just so it's going to be another negative day full of a lot of news and a lot of stuff and a lot of content on social media. So that was my day. 
And then I did some stuff around the studio, came home and yeah. And now I'm here with you. Well, I mean, that's a very productive day and it's full of routine. And if there's ever been a common theme that I've heard from people, it's that routine is helpful, like having some kind of a routine with with fitness or with uh, what you do in the day or just getting that that mm-hmm. uplifting atmosphere, being a positive energy. Um, if we were to take a time machine and go back like 15 years, where would that put you if we hop in the time machine and take a little travel? 15 years would be what, four years in Canada? <laughs> I've been here for a while now. Yeah, so yeah, 15 years back would be my fourth year in Canada. So what was life like then? Like, where were you? What were you doing? What things did you think were cool? Mm, I honestly try to learn, like, learn the language. <laughs> That's all I can really say, learning the language and just adapting, I guess, to a new way of life and new routine and a new environment, new interactions and whatnot, so... Yeah, as a kid. So I immigrated from Sierra Leone, West Africa when I was eight. So I was born there. Most of my family is from there and some of them still live back home. So, and I guess if you want to go a little bit further back than 15 years, (laughs) we immigrated to Sierra Leone in 2001 and we ended up in a small town called Pinoca. But prior to that, the reason why we immigrated is because it was a civil war happening in Sierra Leone. If you guys don't know where that is, it's just the West Coast of Africa, a little bit above like Nigeria and Ghana and all that stuff. But um, in the year around 1991 to 2002, there was a civil war that was taking place and we were in the midst of all of this that was happening. So when it started off, I guess I wasn't really born yet. And then when I was I was born in 1993, so a couple of years into the war, I was born. And then throughout the war, like I grew up around there. But in 1999, it got really bad. And um, my aunt at the time, she immigrated to Canada, was living here for a while before that, married and all that stuff. So she was in the process of sponsoring all of us. So not my entire family, but she did a really good job of sponsoring all 13 members of my family. So close family members like my brother and then my cousins, my aunts, my uncles and all that stuff and my grandma. So she was in the process of like, filling out the application form and just waiting for it to go through. So while that was happening, we're in the middle of a war and we're trying to get ourselves out of it. So from there, we immigrated to Guinea, West Africa, lived there for a year while we're waiting for things to happen and kind of things to settle in Sierra Leone. And then in 2001, we actually immigrated to Canada. I remember it was like the middle of summer and it was, cold (laughs) it was like june or july and we got off the plane and prior to this this is like an entire family who's never been in a different country we were just told we were leaving we didn't even know where we were going we've never seen a map of anything else but where we were where i was born i didn't even know like the world was that big right so i was just all i knew was sierra leone west africa all i knew was the village that i grew up in or the village that I was born or like the tribes that my family's from. That's all I really knew. So it's like getting off the plane, not even knowing where you're going, traveling for two days. And all of a sudden you're like in a small town called Pinoca and it's the middle of summer, July and you're freezing. <laughs> so it was a huge cultural shock for sure. And it was just a whole 
new world, new experience, new learning. And it was just really fast paced. You're just a kid. You don't even know what you're doing, but you're just, you have to learn this language. You have to like wear these clothes that you, you've never worn before. And you have to like layer up and all that stuff. And you have to adapt to new climates and weathers and whatnot. And so it was a lot. It was a lot. So yeah, I immigrated to Pinoca, lived there, um, went to school there and pretty much grew up there for most of my, uh, my high school days. And during that time, went to school, um, became involved in sports, and I just fell in love with sports right away. That was just like my outlet of everything that was happening in my life and everything that I was going through at home, too. So I just fell in love with sports and um, just made sure I was super enrolled and super involved in um, academics and athletics. And then from there, I was able to finish off high school, but then I finished off my high school year in Edmonton. So I actually moved to Edmonton instead of Noka in 2000 and I think that's, I want to say 2010, 11, that summer. And then graduated high school, got some scholarship offers through schools in the States and went to university. And then from there, now in the real world, came back home, ran track, ran professionally for Team Canada. And then now I'm just kind of a retired athlete, just living life and kind of trying to be an adult yeah and face the world well, <laughs> i mean it's cool that the time machine question works so well like i barely even had to try with that you just like took it and ran with it like i got the year off like i was just like the cool thing is i can like sit here and be like what was life like like 10 years ago and then they have a story and it doesn't matter who it is there's a story mm-hmm. and the thing that i like is because we have like this unique connection that we realized like a few days ago and it revolves around Pinoca. And so fun fact, I was born in Pinoca and I grew up nearby, nearby. I wouldn't say I -hmm. spent a lot of time there, but that was just the hospital that my parents went to. And so Mm -hmm. we, we came to the realization that there was maybe a few instances where my aunt and uncle gave you a ride. And it was just like, when I realized that I was like, that is so cool because probably <laughs> 10 or 15 years ago or maybe 10 years ago, I don't even know anymore because time just flies. It just seems one second we're like 10 years old. Next second we're like 28 or whatever. It's just like, it's nuts. But <laughs> the fact that I knew of you and I heard about like this really fast track star, it was just, that's what I heard from my aunt and uncle. They were like, yep. Yeah. Um, and every so often, We help out this girl and she's really fast. Like we think she's going to go to the Olympics. Like we think she's going to make it all the way. And I was like, oh, that must be really fast. Cause like, I can't even win at the Mm -hmm. 200 meter at my own school's thing. And I was like, I wonder how fast she is. And I just always, for years, I was like, ah, I wonder how fast she was. And then this one day out of all of them, I'm just chilling. And then you were doing like some warm ups and stuff. I was like, okay, like she looks fast and what are the odds that this is the same person that my aunt and uncle were talking about i was like come on chris like that's naive like how could it be the same person so i just let it go and then as time went on i was like no no no, i'm pretty sure that's the same person and so that little realization made me realize like how small the world really is Mm -hmm. it is i actually thought about it too because like after we met at evolve and um started following you on Instagram and I was like little that name's not like super common 
so what are the chances of you like you got you guys being related like what are the chances of me knowing Nell and Ken Little and you guys being related and then when he did reach out and ask me a couple days ago I was like oh my goodness I should have asked I thought about it but I was like oh what are the chances like yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, the it's odds are, cool. are really high in Alberta. I mean, there's a few exceptions, but it's pretty high that just about everybody with the last name is related. I mean, there's a few exceptions, but I haven't stumbled across them. But yeah, so that was a mm -hmm. super cool connecting piece. But I, uh, I found that you actually have a Wikipedia page. Not many people have one of those. So like, I mean, pat on the back for you. Cause like, I've never like, Thanks. that's such, <laughs> so cool. And so in doing that, I, I discovered like, not only have you broken your own personal records, I mean, you've gotten like the scholarships as, as you've spoken about, what was it like to uh, be in that process of like getting selected for track scholarships? Like, I don't know anybody else with a track scholarship. So I just want to know what that's like to have happen in a new right. country that you're just kind of getting your bearings and all of a sudden you're getting recruited for like high profile academic uh, athletic endeavors. Mm -hmm. So to be honest, the whole receiving scholarship thing, I wouldn't have known anything about it if I didn't have a friend who was going through the process. She was a year younger than me. So she graduated a year younger uh, before I did. And she was applying to universities in the States. And unless you don't, unless you actually know, you think that, oh, yeah, like, I'm good. My times are good. My stats, my stats are good or whatever. Therefore, people should notice me. And I think that's the ignorance that a lot of athletes have. They think they're so good that everyone should notice them. But in reality, when it comes to, like, especially getting recruited in universities in the States or the NCAA in general, you have to put yourself out there. So she actually had the SAT book. And I borrowed it from her. I started studying. And at the time, like I was in AP programs too. So I was like, okay, all this stuff was like pretty easy for me to, you know, get through and study for. So I spent like four months studying for it when I wrote my SAT. And during that time too, I set up a recruiting website. So it's called Be Recruited. I think it's still around. At the time, it was like $100 a year. You could set up your profile. You could have your videos of your events, whatever events you ran. If it was hurdles, you could have hurdle videos, long jump videos, and just have your times. If it was long jump, have your distances there. And coaches could go and take a look at your work profile. So with that being said, like I set up my profile and I had about 32 offer, um, university offers just from there, with just having my stats on there. I wrote my SAT, got in, scored pretty high where I was able to get into all the uh, Division One NCAA schools. And um, and then from there, I went from there. I made a list of my top five schools. And then after that, I was like, okay, that was a little too much. I made a list of my top three schools that I wanted to go to. So with that being said, and with the offers that I received, I got all the top three schools. And I just went for visits. So you have potentially you're allowed five at the time. I don't know what the rules are anymore. But at the time, it was five of your top schools. You are allowed to go and visit for free. Everything is paid for. If you're interested, they're interested in you. They fly you there, they host you, they give you per diem while you're there for two or three days or the weekend usually. And they kind of just show you around campus, what campus life is like, depending on what kind of uh, courses you want to take or what kind of degree or program you want to take. Um, they will have someone who has a similar background to kind of show you around the campus and kind of try to persuade you. <laughs> and then they treat you really nice. They take you out for dinner, they take you out for games. They take you out usually to like the head coach's house and you get to meet their family and whatnot. So it was a really cool experience, but that was how I literally got myself out there. You, you 
you have to reach out to people who've been through it because if you don't it's not as easy as some people may think it is because I would have never known. I just heard that, oh, yeah, you can receive scholarship offers if you're really good. If you run a certain time or if you're really good athlete in general, you're really good in your country or whatever. But it's not as easy as most people will think. Well, I mean, in getting to that process, like it sounds like you were extremely disciplined to be able to get into like advanced academic studies and stuff like how do you maintain such focus over a long period of time? Like what, what is it that you have to do in order to keep your, keep your eye on the prize? Oh man, I'm always trying to figure that out to be honest, but I feel like as a immigrant who immigrated from a situation that was way worse, and then you're being put into a place where opportunities are plentiful and, um, your job and I feel like your responsibility is to do better than where you came from. So I feel like as a kid, I established that from earlier on and I was able to have a really good work ethic because of that, because I always knew like I'm, I didn't leave Sierra Leone, a country that was being torn apart because of the civil war to come here to do worse. So in the back of my mind, that's always been the goal is to just, do better than what I would have done if I was still back home. Like my chances of survival would probably be very slim. So every time I think of like slacking or, you know, taking it easy or getting unmotivated, that's always has been in the back of my mind. It's like, I have to do better. I'm an immigrant. Like a lot of people died for this and I'm put in this position where I can be more, I can do more and I can literally change my life. And then the lives of so many other individuals around me. So and that has always been my um, motivation, yes. Well, I mean, that is eye-opening. It's something that's been on my mind as I've interviewed more and more people. I've been like, you know, like the people that I interview teach me so much through perspective. Like I could interview a person that's had the exact same life experience as me and they might be like 10 years ahead in our own little like kind of same, same journey. But what kind of new mm-hmm. things will I learn? What kind of adversity will I learn? What kind of like facing the obstacles will I learn? So that's what I love about this interview because it kind of teaches me, like gives me a flash of perspective. Like, hey, I mean, if if I don't have like, I don't know, a new patio chair, everything's going to work out okay. Like I'm alive. Mm-hmm. I have food. Yeah. I have opportunity. And I just need to work my ass off. And especially like from in the position that I'm in and I am learning to listen more and more and I'm learning to be more of an empath and I'm learning to try and put myself in other people's situation. Like throughout this week, um, just learning to uh, be someone that can listen to people when they need somebody to listen. Um, Talk less, which is a struggle for me. I talk so much. It runs in my family. (laughs) Um, I dial that back <laughs> to be a better person for the people around me. Um, in your journey, like, so you got into the school. What was it like to, like, you went from Pinoca to Edmonton and then you got to your scholarship at university. Is that kind of how the process went? Yeah, so it was Pinoca. Then I, like, moved my grade 12 year to Edmonton, finished off here, went to Ainley. Don't know why I should have gone to Skoda. <laughs> and from there I got, I finally decided I was going to Northern Arizona in Flagstaff, Arizona. So it's a little bit more in the mountains. So we're training 
at 7,000 feet elevation. And I guess the, the, the deciding factor on that was just it's close to home. And it really resembled a lot of like Alberta, the mountains and whatnot. Still has snow, even though I hate snow and the cold, but it was very minimal where it's like you could wear a light jacket in the winter time and I would have to wear my five layers of the parka and <laughs> three layers of socks or whatever. But um, I really liked it. It was just the, the vibe and the environment was really great. So yeah, from Panoka to Edmonton to Northern Arizona. And it was just more of like learning how to adapt because again, life isn't always about just going into a straight line or you have a goal and it's just going to be, you know, a smooth sail. There's curves and turns. And I guess just from immigrating to Canada and having to be forced to adapt and um, find a new way of living and expressing yourself and also new freedoms and opportunities that are presented with it. It's just being very open-minded about things. Just at any course in life, things change. Like right now, what we're going through COVID, no one expected our 2020 would end up like this, right? But it is, this is the situation. This is what's happening. And some people will take advantage of that. They will adapt. They'll find new opportunities and new ways to keep going on and keep um, persevering, whereas others will just use it as a defeating factor and toss in their 2020 year and just think this is like the worst year ever. But it's, there's a lot of moving parts right now. COVID, what's happening with America. And it's just, I think it's just a time for change. And it's time for people to just be open-minded about what's happening. Well, it's absolutely true. I mean, it's, it's a major awakening for people, whether it be our environmental impact, our social impact, um, just a time to uh, start learning things that we know nothing about, understanding that we'll probably mess it up. But if we get back up real quick, mm -hmm. we're going to be okay. Like, have you ever run a race where something just didn't go the way that you wanted it to go? Oh, yeah, that's like all the time. Yeah. Um, every single time. I mean, we always don't have this idea of how we're going to execute a race. But again, it's not usually how you started. My coach always says, so with sprinting per se, too, there's like three important phases. So there's the start phase, acceleration phase. There's actually four phases. Start phase, acceleration. There's the transition phase, phase two. Phase three is going to be your top end speed and then the finish, right? So my coach always reminds me no matter how you start in life it's the transition that is the most important right it's how you choose to keep going after a terrible stumble or whatever or if you start off really slow your reaction time is really bad you're not just going to toss everything out the window and stand up right away and call your race you just throw your race in the bag and that's it if you start have a stumble at your starting block that transition can still make up for a lot and that can still make a really good race you just have to execute properly and not just give up right away and um yeah and just kind of trust the process right well i mean that's a amazing but, analogy for life like people can take that and apply it to all kinds of different things where they think like it's like the year 2020 it's like no no sense in thinking the whole year is shot when there's so many opportunities mm -hmm. to pivot or opportunities to uh to kind of lean into that discomfort of like thinking, you know, like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to try my best or I'm going to wear my heart on my sleeve and like be the best version of me that I can be. Like you got to be all in yeah. on, on this year that we have in front of us in yeah. your, in your running career. Have you ever had like injuries or anything like that? I, I hear so much about competitive sprinters 
where it's they're using the same muscles and then they're so much more susceptible to injury. What's your experience with that like? Oh man, that's the reason why I'm done with track. <laughs> so yeah, I've had multiple injuries right off the start. I mean, I it started off in college, to be honest. It's just the NCAA is a great opportunity, but it's a very exhausting experience. Like we're competing, we're training every day our season so with track there's two seasons so it's not like football where you go for six months and then you get the rest of the year off or whatever right I don't even know how football works but it's not like that it's two seasons technically back to back indoor season will start anywhere from training for it will usually start like in August September in the fall and then you start competing indoors in December and it goes on till usually April May depending on where you're at usually in Canada It'll go until April, and then in the U.S. it it might go on a little bit later. And from there, you get usually like two, three weeks off if you're lucky, and then you have an outdoor season right after that, right? So you start competing outdoor right away. It's not like you're training again for outdoor. You just kind of carry over whatever speed development development you've built indoors. You create carry it over to your outdoor season, and that usually starts in May, sometimes um, June, depending on where you're at, and that goes on till maybe August, September, October, it all depends where you're at. So being an NCAA athlete, like I would compete indoors, I compete outdoors. And then once my outdoor season is done, I come back home. But my season is actually not done because Canadian season goes on really late. And just the track season in general, if you're professional, you're trying to compete for your country, it goes on pretty late. So like Worlds is usually like in August, September. So by then I'm done competing outdoors. And then I have to go back to school and start my indoor season again so it's physically exhausting it's a lot of training it's a lot like our training would be in here from like three to four maybe five hours depending on how hard it is and how the weather permits and we'll have like three hard days where it's either every other day like monday wednesday friday and then those hard days are more speed days and we would have acceleration work we spike up we'll have longer recovery time but then once we're done our speed session which is anywhere from an hour and a half to maybe two hours on the track. Then we have a weight session, which is going to be another hour, hour and a half in the weight room. So it's a really long day in general. And on top of that, you're like academics, you have you know, school, you have maybe like you're taking a full course load while you're training full time at the same time. And um, just physically, mentally exhausting. Just over time, you're competing every weekend in the NCAA and then you come home you're competing every weekend so it's just a long almost 10 to 12 months of just competing and just beating your body down so I have had injuries my freshman year I had knee issues that was never really fixed I just took some time off when I needed to and then it just kind of like progressively worked its way up the chain the kinetic chain and then it became like my hip issues and that's actually why I'm no longer running track I would love to still be in the sport but again things happen when it's time and it's just my time was up. So my career was due to a hip labrum, my right hip labrum. I tore the cartilage and I had surgery and everything, but it was just not, it wasn't the same. Like everyone has a different way of bouncing back. Some people bounce back well, some people don't bounce back at all. Or just some people are just, they just had enough. And I think for me personally, I've just had years of, beating my body down. The hip issue started way back in 2014 when I was still in the States running and competing and whatnot and had MRIs, multiple MRIs. They weren't able to see anything in the imaging. 
And as a result of that, I just kept on training because as an athlete, I guess another thing that a lot of us develop over time is to kind of like just train through the pain, even though you know there's something wrong. Your coaches tell you train through the pain. So therefore you listen and you just kind of think it's a way of being mentally tough when it's probably stupidity. <laughs> and now I'm more of an advocate of like listening to your body and whatnot. But I just kept on training through it. And it just became worse and worse where it wasn't even my right hip at the time that I was feeling like I felt like a pinching sensation. And um, but what I was happening, what was happening was I was actually straining my left hamstring every single time I would like train or go for competition or anything. I would strain my left hamstring right away. So I moved to Toronto in 2017 and got an MRI done on my right hip because my coach at the time was like, you know what, this makes no sense. Like there's range, there's strength. So what is going on? So he just decided to get an imaging on the other hip and we'll go from there. And they found out it was like a huge labrum tear <laughs> that has been there for years. And I needed to either get surgery or quit right then and there. So it was a, it was a really hard decision because I was like, if I get surgery, there's always that what if component of I'm going to regret, I'm going to regret it. I'm going to live a life of regret saying, Hey, what would have happened if I had gotten surgery and not just quit? So I just decided, you know what, the worst thing that can happen is I get surgery, it doesn't work. And then we know, right. So I decided to go ahead with the surgery in 2018. So it was like a huge process. This is like a huge wait list, right? Even though you're like your team Canada, Canada athlete or whatever, we don't get a lot of like expedited, you know, <laughs> um, privileges. Um, we have to wait like most people. We don't have to wait as long for sure. But we, there was still a process where I was like waiting. And then finally, 2018, that, um, that year, February, I got my surgery and it was a really good surgeon. He's done a lot of our teammates. So labrum tears are super common in the sprint world, in the track world in general. If you're a sprinter, if you're a long distance runner, and I had no idea of it until I actually went through it. And then when I went through it, I had people that were coming forward, talking about it, sharing their stories, helping me recover a lot faster and just giving me tools on how to be successful um, post-surgery which was really helpful. But unless you go through something, you're never going to know what it's like if you like, again, you haven't gone through it or if you don't reach out or ask for questions or ask yeah, for answers and whatnot. So that was the, the surgery. It went well. Um, two days after my surgery, I was on a bike because, <laughs> you know, athletes were crazy. Um, I was biking. I was in my rehab stuff and it felt great. And I got cleared in July. So maybe like what, six months after got cleared in July to return to training, but not competition, just to slowly transition to training. But just every time I trained, my body just was not the same. There was just a lot of imbalances over time and just a lot of like compensating that my body had had to do because of that injury. And I just mentally, physically, I was just super exhausted. And again, in the back of my mind, I was just like, I didn't come here to struggle to be an athlete first off it's not like team canada's paying us athletes any money some of us are actually not getting paid right um and since i was injured like two years before i wasn't eligible for any kind of funding so all the training that i was doing in toronto during surgery after surgery all that stuff like i have to pay for everything right like i had to pay for my weight 
It wasn't like they would pay for my living and they'd pay for me to train they'd pay for my food accommodations or anything like that. Um, like athletes are working full-time jobs or they're working part-time jobs while they're trying to train full-time as well and represent their country. So it was just uh, a time in my life. Where I was like, this is not the life that I came here to create. I didn't leave a place where I was struggling to come here to even struggle more to try to represent my country. I love Canada and all that, but it was just that deciding factor. Like, you know, I have to do more for my life. I have to start creating a career and just like an impact that I can leave behind or just to find ways to influence people otherwise and just through track. So I decided to quit track and yeah, <laughs> that was well, it. Yeah. I mean, I really like that you shared that with me because like I know some like competitive track runners and injuries are extremely common and it can be a big mental mm -hmm. battle. Like when your eyes are on the prize of progressing in one specific modality, whether we're lifting, whether we're running, whether we're competing at a high level or we're competing with ourselves in the mirror. Um, it can be really tough to have to, to pivot. Like what kind of went through your head in the moments that you were like, okay, we have to shut her down. We're going to pivot. Cause like you have a good attitude, but I can imagine that it, there must have been like some some tough moments there. Oh yes, there was a lot of days where I would like have conversations with my coach. Where I was like, "Coach, what am I doing? Like, I want to come back, but I don't want to come back as just like a mediocre athlete who's just trying to run times or whatever, or trying to come back, but they're not really fully recovered." And now looking back, I think my biggest issue was I was mentally in a state of mind where I was trying to prepare myself to compete, which a lot of athletes do rather than preparing yourself just to be healthy, right? And if I had that different shift before I decided to shut it down, I think I would have been way better off. But again, it would have been years, like who knows, maybe I would have had the same mentality and would have still kept on going. But at the end of the day, I think I would have, I wouldn't have enjoyed the journey as much because I would be forcing a lot of things, right? And even though I'm sad and I miss the sport, I miss the individuals in the sports, I miss the traveling, the experience, the cultures, and all that stuff. I, I feel like it was the right time for me. It was a tough decision. Even today, I'll wake up one day and I'm like, I'm no longer retired. I'm gonna go back, <laughs> and I'm like, no, I, no, you're done. It's, there's no going back here. Like there's days where I do wake up and I'm like, oh, I feel great. My body feels great. But um, I do like one hard workout and my hip just gets so agitated. And it's just like, yeah, anytime I feel my hip, I'm like, yeah, I know it's done. <laughs> well, I mean, so. you talked about like feeling a sense of purpose or like creating like one of the biggest things that can be really fulfilling for people is sort of creating momentum creating like a legacy of our own like we all want to have like mm -hmm. this is what i left on this earth like this is the thing that i started and people will remember me for it um what inspired yeah. you to get into the fitness industry like i know you were very active in fitness but was there like a certain moment that made you think oh i'm gonna be a trainer and i'm gonna just train everybody that I can train kind of thing um no, I've just always loved being active. And I just always loved the idea of like pushing yourself physically, mentally, and not really, you're never 
as you're never good, like you're good right now, but it's not your best, right? There's always potential. There's always opportunity for growth and development. And I just love that idea. And fitness is one way that you can really express that. And just being, I guess, being an athlete, being in the sports world. And then I also studied exercise science in university. So I was like, I might as well put that to good use. So yeah, so the fitness space was just something that was really, it just resonated with me really well. And it was just an opportunity for me to be very creative and also express myself too. And um I know like I've known a lot of individuals who just kind of struggle with body image issues and it's just a really great way to reach out and just show women, especially in fitness, that there is potential that lifting weights and being strong is not a bad thing. It is actually empowering and it's what the body was designed to do. And I I just, I've always just thought the idea of just fitness in general, there's just so many opportunities in it. You can change people's lives. You can share stories. Yeah. I agree completely. Like, I mean, you came to the right podcast to be talking about how great fitness is, but um, mm-hmm. with, with your education, with exercise science, was there other stuff that you studied in addition or was it just streamlined right into uh, just the fitness space with your uh, university education? I on- yes. I always knew like I was really good at science. So I wanted to do science, something science related. And then I was always a huge fan of sports, athletics. So I was like, okay, you know what? exercise science it is so that was it just from day one I just always knew yeah well I mean that works so really well there's so many ways to enter into this industry and for it to line up like that for you to have to pivot but have everything that you kind of need in that process or at least be headed in the Mm -hmm. right direction because like I came into this industry from something like totally different and so I was like I'm in fitness now like it was a big shock for me But when you were so into competing and you were performing at a high level and you're learning all this stuff from like highly sought after coaches. And I I say that as a blanket statement, I'm assuming if somebody is a coach at an institution where you have to compete to get in or where you have to compete to get like a scholarship, like they got to be like amongst Mm -hmm. the the top people out there. Um, When it came to your, Mm -hmm. your coaches in the university level or college level, um, like what was the best advice that they gave you that you can kind of think of today? If anything like has stood out. There is life after track. (laughs) I remember that very vividly because I was so obsessed with track. I was just literally, I didn't go to any parties. I would do everything that I was told, eat this, eat that. And it becomes very, like anything, it becomes very obsessive, right? Where you just think about it. You can't take your mind off of it. So I was just consumed by track 24-7, trying to be the best 24-7 and missing out on experiences and missing out on, like, relationships and whatnot. Like, I'm, you know, if I want to do something, (laughs) I will go the extra mile. I will become super obsessed with it. I'll just immerse myself and that was my mentality in college where I missed out on a lot of experiences because of that. And I think a lot of NCAA athletes do that too. We miss out on all those great relationships and um, mentorships that we could be building, but we're just so obsessed with just our sports. And then on top of that, trying to maintain your GPA, but you're not really immersing yourself in the now and in the moment, right? In the experience itself. So I didn't really spend the time to get to really experience and enjoy my journey. I was just kind of like, a to B, eye on the prize, nothing else matters kind of thing. So 
yeah, my, my coach just told me, Ice, there's like life after track. Like when you're done, what do you want to do with your life? You can't run track forever. You can't do any kind of athletic adventure forever. You can work out and maintain a healthy lifestyle, but you can't go all out 100% every single day and expect to maintain that for the rest of your life. It's about um, sustainable habits over time. And it's just about what are you going to do after you're done track? What is something that really moves you besides tracks? So I was like, oh, the fitness world. So yeah, that was the best advice that I ever gotten. Just started to shift my perspective and think about how I can actually impact people because when we're athletes or when we're competing, we're very selfish individuals. It is the honest truth. And it took me stepping away from it to really realize that like we have a lot of people who support us. We have entire communities to support us. Like I grew up in Panoka and I know I left and went to university elsewhere, but like I've always been a Panoka girl and the entire town has always stood behind me. And when I was in the sport, like I, I realized it, but I didn't really value it as much if you understand what I mean so now that I'm no longer in the sport and now that I'm thinking about life after well I am done track life now life after track literally it's like all those people who played a role in allowing you to experience those moments and allowing to experience those opportunities like those are what truly matters honestly like I didn't get here on my own like, yes, there's so many talented individuals out there, but they're not going to be able to get to where they need to if they don't have the support behind them. So that was one thing that I wish I kind of spent a little bit more time appreciating and being more present with. But yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's super cool because, uh, yeah, like I, I even saw you in newspaper articles. Like, isn't that bizarre? Like, when does that happen? when do I interview somebody like a decade later? And I'm like, Oh, like I legitimately saw her in a newspaper article. And that just makes me giggle. Like, I'm just like, of course, <laughs> of course I saw the article, but then it's, it does take a village to basically elevate anybody in any, in any place in our life, um, in any ventures that we do, like brand new businesses, they need their first like 20 clients trainers they need their clients um people who cut hair well they need people's hair to cut and so like community is great um there there was the the thing that i saw on your instagram story just with like the f45 community and it was so heartwarming to see that in just like that that gesture that they did for you and um like what was your emotions in that moment uh, I still think about it even today and I was not expecting that like my bosses and the owners of the F45 walk release that I'm at they're amazing individuals like the entire family they, their families I spent time with them outside of the F45 but for them to actually and the members like Chad Cook put that he um, organized the entire thing where he got everyone to change their screen there was a picture of myself and then it said we support you or we are, we stand with you. I used to, and by hashtag black lives matter. And I wasn't expecting that at all. Like I literally turned on my computer. I had a zoom live workout at 1130 that day. I turned on my computer at 1115 and everybody was logged in and individuals that were not even doing the workout were logged in just to support me and support any people of color everywhere, all over the world. And it was a huge moment where 
I cried. <laughs> I cried. And it was a huge moment where I was like, this is what the world needs. Like, it's one thing to say you're not racist or to say that you do value and believe that everybody deserves equality and you see different like different races as one. But it's one thing to actually stand out or stand up and speak out on an issue like what is happening today because you can't just turn a blind eye on it. It is it's there. If you think it's not there, you're either in denial or you're just not having these conversations. Like there's lots of experiences, like there's a lot of stories out there. If you ask your friends who are of color, ask them to share their stories with you. Like this is real. Like I got pulled over a few times in my life and it was for no reason. It was just like registration, insurance, is this your car? And that was all they asked. And I when I asked why, they never really elaborated. It was just whatever they wanted to pull me over. They're going to pull me over when they want to pull me over. But what the community at F45 Walker Lake did yesterday was was amazing. And I'm really, really appreciative of it. And that is what we need. Like we're, If you believe in something, stand up for it. No matter what you think the world is going to think of you, if you truly believe in something, it should not feel like you're being pressured to stand up. It should just be something that you want to do. Like If you want to lose 100 pounds and you're just sick and tired of it, you're going to lose 100 pounds, right? But if you don't want to do it, of course, you're going to come up with all the excuses in the world. And this is what this is the message I'm trying to get across on my social media. It's not really about black versus white. It's about if you know that there's a wrong or injustice happening in the world and you, you truly do not like it and you truly want to stand up for it, then do so. Use your platform like you're doing. Get people out who are educated on the issue to share their stories or to share resources on how you can help or spread the awareness because like those cops that did what they did to George Floyd would not have been apprehended if it wasn't the voices of thousands of people all over the world speaking out, not just staying silent and saying, hey, people of color can deal with this because they're more educated in that field. You're never going to get educated in this field if you don't have those conversations, if you don't speak out, if you don't ask for resources, right? Can you imagine if everyone who actually helped apprehend those cops, if we didn't do anything because we're like, oh, well, my voice doesn't matter. Someone else is going to do this. They're going to take care of it. Can you imagine if we, we were thinking the same thing? Nothing would have been done by now, right? Yep. So that is the power of many voices united. Well, I mean, like self-belief in and of itself any time of the year to to believe in yourself and what you can be capable of like your your entire journey has been you believing in yourself and having that payoff and despite how realistic believing yourself has been you've prevailed and you've pushed forth and that i think in and of itself is pretty cool like to think like what if i grew up the way you grew up, would I be able to face the obstacles in the same way? And I can't say with confidence that I can. Like, I don't know if I would be able to. I would have no idea what would happen. I would be in such fear, such like doubt. I would think, am I even going to survive? Like that, that is the experience that I go through when I try and think of had my childhood been anything different than what it was. And so whether my like emotional like antennas just cranked to the max and I just empathize with every cat, dog, human being in the planet, 
or whether it's just um I've learned a few things from from talking to a whole bunch of people it's there's so much value into being able to understand or at least try to understand like what is the experience like for for my client or what is the experience like for my friend down the street or what is the experience like for the person that I'm talking to right now like I know what my experience is like, and I don't really know what your experience is like, but through our conversation, I've learned so much. I've been able to really understand, like, it took a lot of self-belief. It took a lot of, like, sacrifice. Like, I grew up in a similar way in the sense that I didn't really party. I mean, before I turned 18, it was a very just uh, play on the computer, go to school, play on the computer, go to school, go outside for a bit, play on the computer, go to school, like, super no crazy parties no getting in trouble with the odd exception but for the most part not getting in trouble but um yeah and so your story inspires me that no matter what excuse that i have that i'm going to be okay but then it got me thinking mm-hmm. what what are your goals for the future like do you have like a five-year plan what are your big hairy ambitious goals oh man i do have a five-year plan. So I definitely want to go back to school and um, I want to be a physiotherapist one day for sure. <laughs> it's just always been like, especially going through injury, being an athlete, and there are some really good physiotherapists out there. And then there's so many terrible ones too, right? Like any any occupation, right? So just I've just been really passionate about like just the whole rehab, injury preventative, long-term health, and just longevity when it comes to health and fitness in general. So I really want to be in that space where I can impact and help potential athletes down the road who went through maybe a labrum tear or any kind of injury, just rehab and come back even healthier and stronger. So that is my goal is master's in physiotherapy. And then from there, I just want to, I want to create a platform like where individuals, whether you're black, you're white, you're Asian, you're Indian, whatever, just coming together, sharing your stories and just creating that dialogue where we can share and ask questions openly and we can learn and educate ourselves on each other. And that's the only way that the world is going to become a better place. So those are my two goals. Well, that's awesome. I'm curious, what's your first step? to getting into physiotherapy? What's the first thing on the list that you have to do to get that rolling? Well, I have to go back and read, take some classes. So it's a very competitive field. The GPA to get in is like 3.8 GPA to get in. So I'd have to just take a couple courses, redo them, bump up my GPA and then apply. And um, I also wanted to take any, like a few online classes as well, just in general. So this will be a great way to kill two birds with one stone and then you apply to a few there's I'm looking at D of T in Toronto and then there's also Australia which probably won't happen anytime soon with the borders and everything but I really want to be somewhere warmer in general I'm not a huge fan of winter too cold well I mean they have everything (laughs) that's on the ground that wants to try to kill you in Australia so I mean there's the pros and cons no matter where you go Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> but, I'm not too terrified though. Like I'll take my chances. Big spiders versus cold any day. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm a big chicken, so that's why I don't mind being cold. I'll put it on the park and I'll just stay here where everything can't really survive the, the minus 35 weather or whatever it gets to be around here. 
So mm-hmm. then my last question for you, like well, second last question, second last question for you is if you could give one piece of advice to someone on how to live their life to the fullest by being themselves, what would that piece of advice be? Um, be open. Don't be worried about what other people are going to think because the truth of the matter is people are always going to judge you. Whether you stand up for something or you don't stand up for something or you remain silent, they're always going to judge you no matter what. So you might as well just be open, unapologetic, and yeah, just keep it keep it real. <laughs> and then, right? yeah, well, I mean, that's good advice that can apply to so many things like open communication when we're learning from our trainers and our clients. It teaches us to get to know people better. And just being okay with just being who we are and just being ourself and pushing forward. So every episode, I leave the listeners slash viewers with a challenge for the episode. And I'm going to challenge you to come up with the challenge. So you got to come up with the challenge. So what you're going to do is you're going to be like, your challenge for today's episode is, and then you just say it. Okay. (laughs) Um, What on my count? Yep. Well, or whenever I'm ready. Whenever you're ready. Okay. Okay. Your challenge for today's episode is take the time to have that uncomfortable conversation. Ask someone of color what they're going through and just just listen. Just be empathetic. Get educated, and have just have an open mind open, and and an open heart. That's your challenge for today's episode. That's a wonderful challenge. So thank you so much for joining me today and for outdoing me on the backdrop. So if anybody's listening to this, they got to check out the video to see the backdrop because she just rocked it today. (laughs) 